homilie for the fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks, February 3rd, 2019. Is this not the carpenter's son? This chilly statement represents well the sequence of events in today's gospel. The scene does not unfold the way we think it should. Of whom could the people of Nazareth be any prouder than Jesus? Who would deserve their joy and graciousness more than he? But that's not the prevailing attitude, is it? No one hoists Jesus on their shoulders as though he were the coach of the winning team. Something else is at work here. And the church presents this episode to us so that we'll get to the bottom of what's happening and hopefully learn from it. We need to begin with the assumption that the people of Nazareth are normal folks, more or less like those of similar villages. They were not sinister or corrupt. After all, in this gospel, a good portion of them are at church on the Sabbath. What we notice is that Jesus carried an unmistakable authority that took them by surprise. First, he proclaimed a reading from the prophet Isaiah that speaks of a new day and a reversal of fortunes. This text would have been familiar and received with gladness. Then Jesus declared that he is the anointed one, filled with the Spirit of God. And now, as the saying goes, we have a brand new ball game. Here the characteristics of God are both personified and personal. Here is someone who will not stand aloof, content to be off in the distance, but someone who comes close to us. Here, without retracting his friendship and concern for his townspeople, Jesus shows his hand. As did everyone else whom he would later meet, the citizens of Nazareth faced a dilemma. Either the carpenter's son is crazy, or he is honest. And if he is honest, we cannot ignore his mission. There was a very similar reaction at another time that you may recall when four men opened up the roof in a house above where Jesus stood as he was preaching and lowered down their paralyzed friend on a mat. The Lord's first words to him were, Child, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, people whispered their objections. What is he talking about? Only God can do such a thing. And they were right. Hence, Jesus responded by asserting his authority over sin. By healing the man's paralysis, that is, working the miracle that appeared more spectacular, he showed that he can cleanse the human soul, an act which is more spectacular. At the heart of his God-given mission is eternal redemption, the salvation of souls. But what is required of us in order to accept such a profound gift and apply it to our lives? We have to identify this pride, this resentment, and banish it. If we reduce Jesus to some superhero popping up in random circumstances to work dazzling wonders, what is the point of that? What connection does he then have with us? The townsfolk of Nazareth wanted to see their native son do the things he was reportedly doing in other towns. But they made this request only to satisfy their own vanity, not to change their hearts. To gain Christ, there necessarily has to be a surrender. 
An unrepentant heart is like a cluttered house with no room for more. Jesus insisted that an act of faith is all about being willing to remove the waste so that the power of grace can take root. The people of Nazareth could not wrap their minds around the following big idea. Jesus, their Jesus, was the one to fulfill the promises of God that went back centuries. We hear nothing more about the city of Nazareth in Luke's Gospel after this. But I like to think that at least some of those enraged people, who previously were good and ready to throw him to his death, came around in time to a new understanding. I picture them appreciating the wisdom of Jesus' statement that it is tough for a prophet to be well-received in his home country. I hope they told themselves, you know, if I were not a member of the chosen people, living goodness knows where, I'd love to be a member of God's family, inheriting all the benefits he has to offer. Something about the way Jesus is imperiled so soon in his ministry should shock and disturb us. Later in the Gospels, the Lord made the startling remark that he had not come to bring peace upon the earth, but division. From now on, a household will be divided three against two. Preaching the full unvarnished truth elicits a visceral, venomous reaction from the world. Now you might respond, Father, I don't want to go around making enemies. Of course, I get it. But here's where we need to ask ourselves something. What is worth fighting for at all costs? Where will I not capitulate, regardless of the trouble it may cause me? Current events all over America are revealing a level of animosity toward Christian identity, not just practice, but identity, beyond anything I've seen in my lifetime so far. The furious crowd staring down Jesus, preparing to toss him off a cliff, is not as far away from us as we think. The story of the people of Nazareth remains unfinished after what we heard today. The way I see it, St. Luke does this so that we will finish the story for ourselves. We live in an area that doesn't seem to us to be mission territory. Faith in Jesus has been established here for quite some time. The Lord's message may not seem new to us, but his message must produce new fruit in every generation that hears it. Jesus not only wants to be in our lives, but in the center of our lives. There is a famous painting based on the quote from the book of Revelation in which Jesus tells us, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. In that painting, there is no doorknob on the outside. Only if we open the door will Christ enter and make himself at home. Amen.